Everybody glad you're here. We greet those joining us online. And if you're here for the first time, um, let me help you out a little bit. Um, we have Central Kids, Central Youth, and Central Old Guy. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very grateful that you're here. Um, I want to introduce you to um, a relatively new friend of mine. Every Saturday night after church, uh, Deb and I hit a local establishment for large thin crust double pepperoni. And uh, a couple of months ago, when I walked in, the manager recognized me and we got into a conversation and she just began to open her life, open her heart uh, to me. And before we knew it, uh, we were reaching across the counter holding hands with each other as she shared her life. And uh, at some point I said, well, um, could I pray with you? And she nodded her head, came around the counter, gave me a hug, and I began to call down uh, the goodness of God on Emily. Couldn't get her off of my mind. Um, that was Saturday. By Tuesday of the next week, I stopped by at uh, noon to just see if she was there. And uh, we continued to converse. And I asked her if she'd like to share her story with our church. She said, yes, this is Emily's story. Would you pray with me right now for my new friend? Our Father God, we call down your goodness on Emily. facing an uncertain future, but certain of her relationship with God and his goodness, that you are perfect in faithfulness, Lord. You will never leave her nor forsake her. Continue to comfort her, be her strength, be her resiliency, Lord. Continue to allow her to experience all your love. In Jesus' name, amen. We just heard a, a snippet of Emily's battles on her way home to God, but even when you are in right relationship with Jesus, we have battles. So I wanted to ask you this morning, what's your battle? What are you battling right now in your life? What's your battle? You know what I'm talking about because it's draining your energy. It disrupts your sleep. It's, it stalks your thoughts during the day. It stirs up your anxiety. What's your battle. What are you battling right now? Maybe like me, you're doing battle on multiple fronts. Maybe the battle is physical. Maybe for you, it's cancer and chemo or uh, kind of an unsettling, impending surgery in your future. For me, every day, every day, every day, giving myself four shots a day at least it's a battle with type 1 diabetes and trying to control it. Always looking at the glucometer, trying to figure out if I'm okay. So we have health battles. Um, 18 months ago, my Debbie was diagnosed uh, with Alzheimer's. And um, it, it, was, it was a punch in the gut. Um, it was a disturbing, disappointing, discouraging diagnosis, and probably at first there was denial. And, um, but then, after all the testing, we had to live to learn with a, a new reality. And Deb and I do great. We're a good team, but it's a 
something we have to battle, contend with every day in what's called the long goodbye. Um, so as a result, six months ago, I uh, stepped down from my role as lead pastor, a position I'd filled for over 40 years here. I had no idea. I had prayed about it. I felt like it was the right thing to do. I had no idea what an emotional battle it would be. And because I hadn't really planned it, it just was the right thing to do. Uh, there was an unexpected, dramatic dr decrease in our income. Battle, 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 battle. Um, my dad passed away three months ago. And I don't think actually I've grieved his death yet because every day I call my mom and I love her and I encourage her and I help her battle her way through her grief. Because, you know, she met my dad when she was 16. They married at 17. They would have been married in August. They would have been married 75 years. And now when she goes to bed at night, turns off the light, she's all alone for the first time in her life. It's a battle. You ever battle? You ever have a spiritual battle, darkness and light, and you keep letting the darkness win? Or, or, or like Emily, do you battle with addiction? Do you have relationship battles? You, you lose a friendship. You, you, you got a wounded marriage. I mean, it's like one parenting battle after another. Or maybe you're battling anxiety and, and depression. What's your battle? Maybe it's a financial battle. The bills pile up. The, the debt load is crushing you. What's your battle? Well, for me, you probably like me have battles on multiple fronts. And so as a result, I've been studying. I've been trying to learn from a warrior how to win my battles, how to push through my battles, how not to let my battles defeat me, how not to live a frustrated, defeated life. Now, this warrior, granted, he lived 3,000 years ago. And man, he did more battles than you can imagine. Every kind of battle. He, he had marital battles. He had parenting battles. He had health battles. He battled lust and lost. He battled the own, his own wickedness and his own soul. And yet... Though battle-scarred, he became a man after God's own heart. You probably know who I'm talking about now, King David. And God breathed on King David, and he wrote songs, psalms. And one of the psalms he wrote, Psalm 37, gives us a war plan. What not to do when life punches you in the face, and what to do to take the blow, keep pushing ahead, and get to the victory side of life. So I want to share with you this morning what I'm learning from David, King David. In Psalm 37, verse 1 and 2, he writes this way, do not fret. <laughs> that is such a weak English word. Maybe we think worry. But you know the Bible was not written in English originally. David was Hebrew. He wrote in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word translated fret actually means Panic. It, it means to boil over. It may start bubbling like fretting or worrying, but inevitably it boils over into panic. David writes, do not panic because of those who do evil. Now, he want, doesn't want you to imagine uh, people who have horns and a tail coming out the back and a pitchfork. 
like your mother-in-law. Just kidding. Just a joke. All mother-in-laws be nice to me. No, he's wanting you to think of somebody who breaks your heart. He's wanting to say something, you to think of someone who hurts you with their words, hurts you with their behavior, hurts you by talking about you behind your back. Do not panic because of those who hurt you or break your heart, or do not be envious. Again, that doesn't really get the Hebrew word kana. The Hebrew word kana, it means for an envy that escalates into anger. Like uh, somebody does you wrong and you think, who do they think they are? They think they're better than me. Well, I've got news for them. And anyway, if I had their job, if I had their spouse, if I had their house, if I had their life, don't let your envy escalate to anger to those who wrong you. Why? For like grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. So I just wanted to give you this text in my own words as I translated it from the Hebrew myself. Here's, here's how I would write it. So don't panic when someone hurts you or breaks your heart. Don't let your attitude, your envious attitude, escalate into anger. I mean, when they do you wrong, don't let it go there because this too shall pass. I studied that text and I've come away with three defensive tactics because what I've learned in all the battles I'm embroiled in right now, I need something to protect my mind because my mind will go crazy if it doesn't have protection. I need something to protect my heart because my heart will go crazy without protection. I need something to protect my very soul or I find myself in the pit, in the depths. So I'm going to give you the tactics I found, defensive tactics that come out of this text. Here's defensive tactic number one, just don't panic. I mean, if you've got a battle and you panic, you're not going to handle the battle very well. But if the battle is a problem and you panic, now you've got two problems, so don't panic. Here's defensive tactic number two, avoid the cancer of comparison. It will eat you up if you keep thinking ugly thoughts about people that you perceive as having a better life than you. Or go in the other direction, it'll eat you up if you think you've got a better life than somebody else. Don't get eaten up. Avoid the cancer of comparison. And defensive tactic number three, absorb the blow. Take the hit. You'll never win any fight if you can't take a punch. So when it starts, the best defense, take the blow, absorb the hit, avoid the comparison, and don't panic. But then David gives us three offensive, and I need this stuff because, yeah, I want to protect my mind, I want to protect my heart, my very soul, but I want some strategy to move forward, to move forward, to press ahead in the battle until I get to the victory side of the struggle. So here's what David writes in verses three and four. He writes, trust in the Lord and do good and keep doing good. As a result, you will live safely and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Now here are our offensive tactics that I've learned from this text that help me keep moving forward in all the struggles. Here's offensive tactic number one, trust that God is good. Trust that God is good and that he's at work to your good and you just keep doing good. Somebody hurts you, talks about you behind your back, does something hurtful to you, you keep doing good. 
You keep doing good. You trust that God is good. You don't give a rip about what they say. It doesn't matter about their opinion. You give a rip about God and what, how he approves your life. And you keep, keep doing good. God is good. He's at work to your good. And you keep doing good. And the promise is, the text says, this frees God up to protect you. And we need that surrounding protection, a shield of faith on every side to go through life. And then within the shield of faith, God provides. He provides peace. He provides joy. He provides hope. He provides strength. He provides resiliency to stand in the midst of the struggle. Here's offensive tactic number two celebrate God in worship. And the text says this frees God to put his desires in your heart. Now me, you, everybody in this room, we have all at one time or another had our own desires, our desires. I don't know about you. I'm going to guess you're like me. When I pursue my desires, it blows up in my face. But when God puts his desires. His desires are always for my best in my relationships, in my finances, in my emotions, in my thinking. His desires are always for my best and for the good. And the text says that when I celebrate God, in the, in the moment of celebration, he puts his desires in my heart. Um, now, people, when they read this text, it's easy to make a couple of mistakes. One it's to think that God, well, here's how people think. Well, you know, I put a bid in on this house. I want that house. I desire that house. That's my desire. I've got a job interview. I want that job. I desire that job. There's this new girl at school. She's really hot. I want to go out with that girl. That's my desire. And you think to yourself, oh, I got this desire. I'm going to go to church. So God will give me my desire. That's like thinking that God is a genie in a, in a lamp. And you go to church, rub the lamp three times sing the songs, say the prayers, leave, and God's gonna pop out and give you your three top wishes. Like God's a lucky rabbit foot you just stick in your pocket and touch when you want help. Or that God's like a slot machine. You stick in a quarter, shows you how old I am. Stick in $2, pull the lever, out comes what you want. That's not God. But when you celebrate God, when you celebrate God, he gives you the desires, his desires that come from his heart. Now, the other mistake that's easy to make for me, for you, for anybody, is that we see that phrase in verse four, that God gives you the desires of your heart and we circle and I'm obeying that, but I'm getting that tattooed on the inside of my arm. God's gonna give me the desires of my heart. I'm gonna get that house, gonna get that job, gonna get that girl. And we neglect to go on and read verse five or we've forgotten about verse three. So here's today's truth. Today's truth. When worship is our lifestyle, not just, this is awesome. This is essential. We all need this corporate worship together. But we need to worship on Mondays. When our head hits the pillow tonight, we worship God. When we wake up in the morning before our feet hit the floor, we worship God. On the way to work on Tuesday, we worship God. On the way home from work on Wednesday, we worship God. When worship is our lifestyle, God fills our hearts with his desires. Here's verse five. To condition the desires of our heart from God. Here's what it says. So as a result, you want your desires, you want God's desires, commit everything you do to the Lord. Commit your marriage, commit your parenting, commit your, fi your finance, commit your emotions to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. 
That's what he gives. He gives help. I mean, the help is miraculous. The help is supernatural and we need it. I mean, what would we do without it? How could we do marriage without his help? How could we do parenting without his help? How could we overcome difficulties without his help? So this is offensive tactic number three to help us move forward in the battle to the victory side. Commit everything you do to the Lord. This frees God up to give miraculous help. I need it for preaching. I need it for loving my Debbie, supporting my mom. I need it for caring and shepherding you. I need God's help. And so do you. This is the way the New Testament part of the Bible says that whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do your finances for the glory of God. Do your parenting for the glory of God. Do your relationship for the glory of God. Do your thoughts for the glory of God. God, give me the mind of Christ. God, help me to keep my thoughts set on things above. Lord, help me to take every thought and make it obedient to Jesus. So that's David, Psalm 37, tactics defensively to protect our hearts, minds, and souls, and offensive tactics to help us move, keep moving forward through the struggle till we get to the victory side. But there's another king. You see, all these tactics, offensive, defensive, they're just words on paper unless we execute them. So now I want to introduce you to another king who is an expert at execution. He is King Jehoshaphat. Chapter 20, 2 Chronicles. King Jehoshaphat's in the struggle of his life. He and all his people, the Jewish nation is about to be assaulted by a three-nation army. Three nations against little Israel. And King Jehoshaphat's in the crosshairs. Here's how the story opens. Jehoshaphat, I love his name. It sounds like a rap artist. Jehoshaphat, Receive this intelligence report. A huge force is on its way from beyond the Dead Sea, what would be present-day Jordan, on the Dead Sea, thank you for helping me, to fight you. Now notice how personal it is. It doesn't say to fight your people, to fight your army. We're coming for you, Jehoshaphat. Because in that day when armies warred against each other, the goal was to take the king. They might fight through the army, they might scale the walls, they might come into the throne room, they get the king and they put a hook in his nose, or excuse me, a pin, a ring in his nose, a hook in the ring, a chain on the hook, and they haul him off. We're coming for you, Jehoshaphat. We'll fight anybody, we'll fight however long it takes, we're coming for you. There's no time to waste, Jehoshaphat. They are already at the oasis of Engedi. Now I've been... Uh, to Engedi a number of times through the year with people from our church today. It is an immense, beautiful uh, national park in Israel. Uh, lots of palm trees, lots of wildlife, lo just lush foliage. And as a result, I mean, because it has lots and lots of water and it is the perfect place to create a base camp from which to launch attack on Jerusalem. That's where these three nations of armies, they were right on Jerusalem's doorstep, ready to attack. So what is the first? Jehoshaphat gets this bad news. I've gotten bad news from a doctor. You've gotten bad news from a doctor. I've gotten bad news at my work. You've gotten bad news at your work. So what do you do when you get really, really bad news? 
Here's the first action that Jehoshaphat executes. Check it out. The Bible says Jehoshaphat prayed. He went to God for help. He doesn't ask his friends. He doesn't get, get together with a committee. He doesn't pool the thoughts of his counselors. He goes to God. He asks God for help. In fact, the Bible gives us his prayer. It's a long prayer. I don't have time to read it all, but I want to share the highlights with you so that you know how to pray a prayer, how to execute a prayer that helps you win in the battles of life. Here it is. Here's how he prayed. Jehoshaphat prayed. Now, you gotta, I want you to get a mental image of this. He doesn't go into his closet and pray in private. He doesn't pray to himself. Maybe he's on the balcony. Maybe he's on the city wall, but he is going public with his prayer. He is broadcasting, and all his people are seated before him as he broadcasts his prayer before them. Oh, Lord, you alone are God in heaven. Notice how he doesn't start with his problem. He doesn't start with his battle. He doesn't start with his struggle. He starts with the greatness of God. Oh, Lord, you alone are God in heaven. You rule over all. You are powerful and mighty. No man can stand against you. I mean, we can cry out to you to save us and you hear us and rescue us. We are powerless to do this battle, oh God. Oh God, stop our enemy. We don't know what to do. We're clueless, but we are looking to you for help. Now, when he finished that prayer, to me, it's, it's a remarkable thing. It's amazing to me because what happens as soon as he finishes that prayer, every man, woman, and child in that audience just comes right out of a seated pitch listing on their feet as if somebody had a string in heaven and it just pulls everybody up. They all, the Bible says they all, every man, woman, and child stand in the presence of God. And even more amazing, as they stand together as one in the presence of God, God speaks. Before I tell you what God says, I'd like for us to stand together into God's presence. Would you stand with me now? I'm going to lead you through this prayer. I'm going to help you execute this prayer for victory, the battles of your life. When the prayer says, God, stop my enemy, you think of your battle. God, stop the cancer. Stop the depression. Stop the anxiety. Stop the mistakes. God, stop my enemy. Okay, we've stood up as one. We are in the presence of God. He's right here, right now in the air we breathe. Let's bow our heads to show our humility. Let's close our eyes so that we can look into our own hearts and identify our battles. I'm gonna pray and you pray the words right after me. Here we go together. Oh Lord, you alone are God in heaven. You rule over all. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. We can cry out to you. Save us. And you hear us. And you rescue us. We are powerless to do this battle. Oh God, stop our enemy. We don't know what to do. But we are looking to you for help. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. When that happened in Jerusalem on that day, all the people standing together in the presence of God, God spoke. And here's what God said. This is what the Lord says. 
Don't be afraid and discouraged by this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You would not even need to fight. Take your position, stand still, and watch the Lord's victory. God is with you. Friends, you have no idea. Over the course of the last 18 months, the last six months, the last three months, how often I have had to pray that prayer, how I've had to remind myself, David, this is not your fight. The battle belongs to the Lord. Stand still, David. Still your heart. Watch the Lord's victory. God is with you. You don't have to fight. Don't think of things to say. Don't think of things to do. The battle belongs to the Lord. Stop fighting, David. The battle belongs to the Lord. Here's what I've learned by trying to practice the defensive tactics, the offensive tactics, and how to execute for victory. Here's what I've learned. Victory is possible in our life battles when we execute humble prayer. We bow our heads. Sometimes I'm on my knees. Sometimes I'm laying out flat on my face. I humble myself before God. And secondly, I've learned that victory is possible when I exercise trusting faith. God, not only are you great, you created the heavens, the earth, the sky, the sea, all that's in them. You made it all out of nothing. Nothing's too difficult for you. Nothing. You are all powerful, Lord. You are all knowing, Lord. But you are also good. You are so good. You are good to me. You're working out my good, Lord. I trust you. You're a good God and you're working to my good. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know when it's going to get done. I don't know what you're doing. I just know that you're at work to my good. And victory is possible. When I declare it ahead of time, I like to do this. I don't know. There's something in the water here, but there's lots of pregnant ladies. I prayed with a, a young couple at our nine o'clock service. And ahead of time, as some of you, I prayed this prayer with you. I thank God ahead of time for a healthy mom and for a healthy baby. David, grandson, I prayed that over you. Healthy Miriam, healthy baby, over JJ, healthy. And JJ had, a, had to have surgery. Uh-huh a month into his little young life. Um, but God is faithful. God delivered and saved. God a healthy mom. God a healthy mom. Use medical science. Use technology. But God, do what only you can do as a loving heavenly father for your precious children. Um, trust in the goodness of God. So <laughs> kind of crazy. Um, after his prayer and, and God speaking, uh, Jehoshaphat rallies the people, rallies the troops with these words. Believe in the Lord, your God, and you will have success. He says it a second time. Believe and everything will be all right. Everything will be all right, not because you're so smart. Everything will be all right, not because I'm so rich. Everything will be all right, not because you have such a strong personality. Everything will be all right, not because of my experience. Everything will be all right on the basis of my belief in a good God who is actively at work to my good and your good. Amen. Yeah, believe, believe, believe. And, and then it's like uh, Jehoshaphat goes crazy. He puts in front of his army, you know, sometimes generals back there would put the weaker 
uh, soldiers on the front line because they're just going to get chewed up anyway, acceptable losses. Or sometimes they would put their fiercest warriors on the front line just to smack against the front line of the enemy and break through. But Jehoshaphat does something wild. He puts the praise band on the front line. Here's what the Bible says. The king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Now that phrase, in a little different way, is repeated all through the Old Testament. And it goes like this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his faithful love endures forever. So you're, you're heading into that interview for a job. And so you're just sighing, you're singing, you're saying to yourself, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. You send in the proposal or whatever you do to buy a house. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. You see that hot girl at school? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love, you know, because you don't always... You don't always get the girl. You don't always get the job. You don't always get the house. But give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. You see this. Victory is possible when we thank God ahead of time. At the very moment they began to sing, a miracle happened. At the very moment. At the very moment. So sing it, say it, sigh it, shout it. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And the text says at that very moment, the moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the enemy armies to start fighting among themselves and they destroyed each other to the last man. Over. They didn't have to pull back a spear. They didn't have to draw back a bow. They didn't have to pull their sword. It's over. The battle is the Lord's. You don't even have to fight. Just stand still and watch the Lord's victory. And then they plundered the battlefield. The army of King Jehoshaphat charged onto the field. They picked up weaponry. They picked up supplies. They picked up valuables. They picked up food. There was so much plunder, it took them three days to plunder the battlefield. Now, this all this long, elaborate story, why is that one little incidental detail mentioned three days of plunder? Because it's meant to point us to the ultimate king, Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and king of kings, who battled sin, hell, and the grave for us on the cross. When he was suffering and bleeding and dying, he was being punished for all my sins and all your sins. And he fully, physically died on the cross in his battle to pay for our sins. But Three days, say three days. Three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead and Jesus came stomping out of that tomb, having plundered hell itself. So, ultimate victory is only possible when Jesus is our king. There's a battle going on right now. It's a real struggle. And we're going to come, we're going to execute a humble prayer 
regarding this battle. I'm going to invite um, all the students in the room to come to the front. If you'd stand with me, please. We're going to pray for our students. You know, there were 88 people this week at CY. 88 people. That's the size of the average church in America. 88 people. And that was teenagers and difference makers at CY this week. Along with the students, I want to invite all the teachers. If you homeschool, uh, come to the front. I want to pray over all the administrators. If you're a paraeducator, if you're a coach, any way you play a role in a kid's learning, please come to the front for us to pray over you and lay hands on you. Uh, all the students in the room, all the teachers in the room, school is not an easy thing. Whichever side of the desk you're on, relationships are a struggle. Emotions are a struggle. And your church is gonna pray for you. Um, Jake's on this side. I'm gonna be on this side. And if you don't know me very well, please come all the way to the front because I'm gonna, this is the weird thing about me. I'm gonna touch you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tap your head so you get the goodness of God. I'm gonna tap you, touch you on the shoulder for you to receive blessing from God. Jake's gonna do the same thing, but there's a whole bunch of you. So be patient. Please stick your arms out. Help me. You guys don't have to stick your arms out. Those guys. You guys stick your arms out toward the kids. Okay, let me work my way through here to the very end. Hey, Grayson. Let me pray. Jill. Lord God, I call down your goodness on teachers, on parents, on these girls, Lord. Let your blessing rest on these men. Bless with your goodness every child, every educator. Lord, let your goodness prevail in their lives. Be a shield of faith around them as they go to school. When I touch them on the outside, Lord God, let them feel your touch within. And we're praying to you for protection, Lord, that you raise up a shield of faith around all these kids, around all these moms and dads around all these teachers and administrators and educators, Lord. As I touch them without, as Jake touches them, let them sense your goodness. Protect them, Lord. Protect them from bullying. Protect them from the wiles of the enemy. Lord, you are all-knowing. You are all-powerful. You know what the enemy's gonna try to do before he does it. So come against him in power. Frustrate his plans. Destroy the works of Satan in the school system, Lord God. Let your kids reign. Let your teachers reign. Let your administrators reign in the schools, Lord God. Let your goodness be so prevailing amongst them that they feel it, that their friends feel it, and that you, Lord God, prevail. We cry out to you in the name of Jesus. Be good. Be strong, give peace and hope to all these kids, all these teachers, all these administrators. And we all said in the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wire podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and follow us on our social media platforms. That way you can stay up to date with what's happening here at Central. And as always, have a great week.